Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, thank you. Good morning. I heard that. I like that. I love when people say good morning to me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the pleasure of continuing on in our Resurrection Implication series. And over the last few weeks, we've been practicing memorizing scripture, confession. I do not have all these scriptures memorized, um, but maybe you do. But as for a little review, we're going to say these together this morning. So if you don't have them written down, that's okay. They'll be up on the screen. So let's say these scriptures together as a way to remind us of where we've come from so far in this series. So Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 6.13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And last week, Pastor Dave pointed us to Colossians 3, 2, which says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Dave also asked the question last week, what if we really lived into our calling? And Dave's message was a very, very timely one for me because I've actually been processing this question for several weeks now. Most of us have probably asked ourselves some form of this question over the last few years. Maybe instead of asking, what if we really lived into our calling, we ask, what am I supposed to be doing? How am I using my time? Am I spending my time on the right things? There's a whole host of variations of this question that we could have asked ourselves. What if we really lived into our calling? You know, during the, the pandemic, there was one way that I really wasn't living into my calling, and, and that was by subscribing to a lot of... Um, streaming services. Maybe you guys did the same thing, but I had subscribed to every single one. HBO Prime, Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, because I love Animal Planet. I mean, all of them, I had them all. And with my Amazon Prime subscription, I got an Audible subscription. Do you guys know what Audible is? Audible is where you get to listen to books. And so, during the pandemic, I started listening to this book by Oliver Brickman called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. I liked the book so much that I actually bought a hard copy. And one of the things that blew my mind in this book is that he um, has researched and studied that the average age of a person uh, is probably around 80 or so. And when you reach the age of 80, you have lived, guess how many weeks? Go ahead, shout out a number. 5,000? 4,000. Okay, some of you are smart. You paid attention. 4,000 weeks. 
because it's the title of the book. But that was not the number that first jumped into my head. I was thinking way more than that. The answer is 4,000 weeks, and that is mind-blowing to me. Our very own Allie Harrington will be 104 years old in December of this year. She's exceeded that average lifespan. She's lived for the glory of the Lord. The oldest living woman right now is in South Africa, and she just turned 128 years old. Most of us will not live to be 104 or 128. And so all of this has me thinking about the resurrection and what I'm doing with my time here, my life on earth. How are we spending those 4,000 weeks? Are we living into the power, promise, and purpose that God has given us? I know we all desire to do that. I desire to do that. The number one essential way that we can make the most of our time here on earth is by walking with Jesus and letting him illuminate, define, and confirm our purpose, using us for his glory and for the expansion of his kingdom. That's how we spend our time. And so today we're going to talk about the power, promise, and purpose that we're given through the resurrection. In Acts 1-3, It says that after the resurrection, that Jesus presented himself to the disciples over a period of 40 days, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's exciting, right? During those 40 days, he spent the most time talking about the kingdom of God. And with all that's been happening in our world, an increase of hate crimes, suicides. And on Tuesday, as Austin mentioned, there was another school shooting where 21 people were killed. 19 of those were young children. And I'm so tired of this being the story, the story of violence. Language has become, violence has become the language of our land and nothing good will ever come from that. Something has got to break. Change is needed. People are losing hope by the second. And in these times as believers, we need to be more mindful of the kingdom of God and our kingdom purpose. I'm not talking about escapism here or just wanting to go to heaven. Yes, we are excited about going to heaven. That is going to be a magnificent day when we finally get there. But there is kingdom work to be done here and now until then. And most of that work, a lot of that work is going to be done on our knees, praying fervently for our nation, for our world, and for one another. Jesus spent those 40 days, as I said, talking about the kingdom of God, not earthly or political or military kingdoms, but the present spiritually directed reign of God. He spoke of these things, the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is about transforming lives and communities through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the resurrection hope that one day we will get to be with Jesus in his heavenly kingdom, but that we'll see, but, but we'll also see that kingdom here now on earth. As the Lord's Prayer communicates in Matthew, Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There is no greater illustration of the power of God than the cleansing of our sins and the freedom and purpose he provides to us through the death and resurrection. In the midst of troubles of this world, this news is worth rejoicing over, right? This is good news. God has redeemed and set us free, given us power and purpose. Romans 6, 4 through 5 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. The death and resurrection of Jesus has made us walking testimonies of the transformation power of the gospel. You are a walking testimony. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a walking testimony and say it like you mean it. You are a walking testimony. And that brings me to our passage for today from 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you have your Bible, turn there, please. If not, it's okay. The scriptures will be on the screen. I'm going to read these for us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And our memory verse this week is verse 3. Say it with me. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So here's the question that we are answering. How do we make the most of our time here on earth? And here's the answer. I think I may have said it already. We make the most of our time here by leaning into the divine power that has been given to us by proclaiming his promises and living out our God-given purpose. We need to remember, church, that the tomb is still empty. The power that rose Jesus from the dead flows in and through us. The one who overcame death is living inside of us that profess Jesus. There are three resurrection implications we can take away from 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And we're going to look at each one this morning. Those implications are divine power, divine promise, and divine purpose. 
This epistle was written to encourage and build up believers as they were living in the last days, experiencing a whole bunch of conflict. Does that sound familiar? A whole bunch of conflict and animosity. And Peter knew that he was going to be martyred, and he wanted to remind them of this final thing, of the power that they had in Jesus. He wanted to remind them of the importance of applying scripture to their lives and growing in their faith. Throughout this entire epistle, Peter culminates by talking about these perplexities and how to live a faithful life in light of Jesus coming back. This is a powerful book, and I would encourage you, if you have not read First and Second Peter, please go through and read it. We could do a whole entire sermon series on just these two books alone. Each one deserves a series in itself. There's a lot there. So we're just only going to be talking about the first nine verses. So let's take a look at implication one, power. Second Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That divine, the word divine there translates to theos, which is from the word theos, theos, which actually means God. And it's only used three times in all of the New Testament in this way. That word power means might, strength, ability, miraculous healing. All this is just saying we have God power. That's amazing, right? We have that kind of power in us. That should blow your mind. What we're being reminded of here is that we as believers have been given something greater than what this world has to offer, something that guarantees victory in our lives, and that is the power of the living God. And this is true even though it may not feel like it at the moment. The resurrection permeates. It permeates us with the power to have Christ-like character and Christ-like power. My watch is talking to me. It thinks, it thinks that I'm talking to it. Technology. The divine power given to us makes it possible for us here at Cedar Mill to even live out our mission statement, which is what? Becoming like Jesus and making him known. We can't do it without this God-like power. An image that comes to mind for me that illustrates the effectiveness of God's power. And some of you know this illustration, and it is the illustration of the hemorrhaging woman. She was bleeding for 12 years, and there was nothing that could give her relief until she encountered Jesus. And she crawled toward Jesus, a crowd full of people, just to touch the edge of his garment. And scripture says that immediately, the bleeding stopped. And Jesus also knew that this had happened, even though he was in a crowd full of people and there were people all around him. He knew that a woman touched his garment because it says in Luke 8, 46, Jesus says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. The same divine power that healed this woman is the same power that's written about, about in 2 Peter 3. 
And here's my point. We don't have to crawl through crowds of people to get that power. Jesus gave it to us by his grace through the resurrection. It's readily accessible for us. This life-giving power, this healing power, this transforming power. Tap into it. Live your life as if you have the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, flowing through your veins. It's in you. It's with you. It's all around you. We're going to be take, talking more about the Holy Spirit next week during Pentecost, so please join us for that so we can dive into just that power of the Holy Spirit and, and what the Holy Spirit does. Let's talk about implication number two, which is promise. Second Peter verse four says, through these, meaning through the glory, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may be, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So what are these promises that we have been gifted, gifted to us? The promise of new birth in first Peter one three. The promise of God's protecting power in 1 Peter 1, 5. And the promise of God's enabling power in 2 Peter 1, 3. The cross, resurrection, and Holy Spirit gives us victory and power over sin and death. We have to tap into this power because in a world that is increasingly growing in corruption and hardship, and I'm sorry that that is not good news, but it is true news. His power and promise is all that we have. The power and promise that he's given us is what makes it possible to live out resurrection implication number three, divine purpose. And divine purpose, which is to have the character of Christ. And that takes work, friends. We have to do what it takes to make sure that we are growing in our faith. We're not talking about a works-based salvation here because we know that that's not true. Our salvation was given to us by grace through faith in Jesus. New life was given to us the same way through the resurrection and then the Holy Spirit is gifted to us. And by that, we must walk in step with Jesus, participating in him in our day-to-day transformation by doing our spiritual crunches. You can't be in shape without putting in the hard work, right? You can't be in shape while just watching streaming services and eating cheeseburgers. You have to put in the hard work of exercising your spiritual muscles. This is one of the reasons we've been memorizing scripture. It's not just to memorize it, but it's to internalize that scripture so that you can recall it easily. Peter says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Our greatest purpose as followers of Jesus is to love God, love one another, and to be spiritually productive. We fulfill this purpose by growing in our faith 
and character. Faith is what undergirds the qualities needed for growth so that we can fulfill our purpose. And the qualities that we should be growing in are listed in verses five, six, and seven. And they're these, goodness. And goodness is simply living to glorify God. All this means is to live in order to bring praise to God. A lot of people, myself included at times, live to bring praise to themselves. And when we bring praise to ourselves, we forget about the power of God. And we should always be focused on the power of God. The second one is knowledge, and knowledge means responding to divine revelation. This is not the kind of knowledge that means you go and you read every book that you can get your hands on, or you're um, trying to engage in theological debates and gain a bunch of head knowledge. But what we're talking about here is spiritual knowledge, knowledge that comes from having spent time with the Lord being fed through the Holy Spirit, that kind of knowledge. The third one is self-control, and self-control is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it is resisting sinful desires. This is not doing what you want when you want to do. This is not giving in to self-gratification, the lust and passions of this world. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, the devil flees from us when we resist because when we resist, we step towards God and into the power that he has to offer. When we don't resist, we turn over our power to the enemy of our souls. And what I want to say is stop giving your power to the enemy. Stop giving your power to the enemy. The other one is perseverance, and perseverance is not quitting until God releases you. I struggle with perseverance. This is one of the reasons I'm not an athlete. I don't run. I don't swim. Perseverance is what it takes to be in this life when adversity comes, and surely it will come. And a lot of times we're quick to give up and to run away, but God is saying, persevere, lean into me, and don't turn away until I release you to do so. Stay in the hard. The next one is godliness, and godliness is probably the simplest one out of all of them, even though it sounds like it would be harder. It is seeking to please God with all of your choices, big and small. Are you seeking to please God with your choices? Are you seeking to please yourself or please others? The other one is mutual affection, and this is caring for the well-being of other members of the body of Christ. Caring for them no matter their political affiliation or their belief system, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, this is caring for them, mutual affection. The last one is love. And love plays into all of these, right? Love is compassionately and righteously seeking the well-being of all people, whether they believe in Jesus or not. God asks us to love people. He asks us to love 
our neighbor. God even asks us to be so bold as to love our enemies. Pastor Tony Evans says this about these qualities, that they act like vitamin supplements, enabling believers to adopt God's kingdom perspective and live in accordance with it. As a packet of seeds instructs the gardener to add soil and water to their crop, to see it yield fruit, God instructs believers to add these qualities to their saving faith in order to actualize the potential for maturity and godly living. If we are following Jesus as Christians, we will produce fruit. We won't be able to help but produce fruit. So don't worry about producing fruit. Worry about getting close to God so that that fruit can emerge. The word goes on to say, verse 8, For if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. These seven qualities, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love must be increasing. We must do what it takes to increase these with the continual goal being spiritual growth so that we don't become ineffective and unproductive. Do your spiritual crunches. Unfortunately, a lot of us who profess Jesus kind of stopped there. We stopped growing, and now we lack spiritual fruit because we are not pushing into our relationship with Jesus. We're not doing our spiritual crunches. We're not in our word. We're not in prayer. We're not meeting with one another to sharpen each other. Verse 9 tells us that whoever does not have them, these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And often, as believers, we try to forget what God has saved us from, just how far he's brought us. We prefer to block out the past, but this verse is saying the opposite. It's saying, don't block out the past. Don't be nearsighted and blind. Don't forget what Jesus has saved you from. Someone who models this really well, I think, is Paul. And sometimes in Scripture, he refers to himself as a sinner. And he wasn't just wallowing in shame over sin, but he knew that Jesus had saved him from sin, which made him aware and appreciative of the power of the living God. Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For Paul, the resurrection gave him power to live a repented life, a life that looked and felt different than before, a life that acknowledged where he'd been and the hardship that was still present in the world, but in his life, that hardship didn't push him away from God. It helped him to focus on the hope that he had in Christ. There's this Japanese art form that I love called kintsugi. And it's the art of repairing broken pottery by mending the broken pieces with gold or platinum dust. And for me, this is a, a profound illustration of what scripture is getting at here. 
Kintsugi treats and values breakage and repair of an object as part of its complete history, not something to be disguised, but an essential part of our journey. Jesus does not ask us to participate in his death and resurrection so that we can disguise our brokenness, but to redeem, restore, and use our histories, our brokenness, to shine a greater light on him. Jehovah, Jireh, God who provides. Jehovah, Rapha, the God who heals. He wants us to shine a light on the world by being our authentic selves. He does not do this so that people will see the power and promise in us. He does this so that people can see the power and promise that resides in us from having a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. We have been equipped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to live with power no matter what cruelty or chaos takes place in our world. No matter the trial that lies ahead or the attack by the enemy of our soul, we have to live into this power. When you've been given, as it says in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him called us through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is how we survive trials and hardships. No matter what happens in our world, friends, I want you to be reminded that the power of God is with you. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but scripture also says this, take heart, dear friends, even though it may not feel like it, Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. This is our hope. Jesus has overcome the world. It doesn't say maybe he will overcome or maybe he has overcome. He has already overcome the world. So say 2 Peter 1 through with me one more time. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your divine power. We thank you that you have equipped us with the Holy Spirit that resides in us, Lord. Lord, we pray for many in our nation right now, particularly the families in Uvalde, Texas, the families in Laguna Hills, the families in Buffalo, Father. I just pray for your peace and your comfort to be with them. I pray, Father, that as they sit in pain and grief, Lord, that they would know your presence. God, I thank you for my friends in this room. No matter where they're at today, Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them, that their power flows through their veins. Lord, we give you this day. We give you our praise and our worship, even through tears. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.